going to grab some coffee. We're going to dive in this morning. It's a chilly fall morning, so I know we're going to be trickling in a little bit late. Make room at your tables as guys show up. Again, welcome to the Tuesday morning men's Bible study. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you've joined us as we continue our study through 1 John. If you are with us last week, we looked at this first section of chapter 4. Uh, introducing the topic of love. We're going to continue that theme this morning. So let me pray for us, and then I'll read our passage, and we'll jump right in. Father in heaven, we uh, are grateful to have life and breath this morning. We are grateful for you, Holy Spirit, as we will read this morning, who gives us faith. We pray, Lord, that you would um, grant us faith this morning to see with spiritual eyes and um, read with spiritual hearts the word that you've set before us. Pray that you would help us to read it, not like a textbook or an advice book or a list of things that you um, have called us simply to do, but Lord, help us to see that you, this morning, you've called us to embody the very love that you've shown us through your son, Jesus. Oh Lord, I pray that as we dive into these things, that you would reveal those places in us where we fall short, and that rather than being condemned and shamed, this morning, that you would move us to a deeper faith in your son Jesus, and that we'd actually leave this place changed, more conformed into his image, and more um, reflective of the sacrificial love that he has shown for us. So draw near to us now as we draw near to your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let me read our passage, this is 1 John 4, you'll find it in your handout. 1 John 4, again, we looked at last week, um, the first section of this, in 1 John 4, 7 through 12, this week, I'm going to pick up in verse 13. By this, John says, we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world." There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he, cannot, uh, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him... Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's word for us this morning. As we jump in, I want to begin uh, with a bit of a history lesson. Uh, Some of you have heard me talk about the Great Awakening before. I think it's instructive for us, as many things in history can be. One of the things that we learn from the Great Awakening is what genuine Christianity is. And the reason why we learn that is because many of those who were writing in those days 
spent a lot of time thinking, writing, and teaching about the marks of a genuine Christian. They did this because um, as people were so-called coming to Christ, there began to be something that was happening in America that really would continue until um, really most recently in our country today. And that as, as the rise of um, more and more people genuinely came to saving faith in, in, in crazy exploding numbers, there also gave rise to a phenomenon known as cultural Christianity. And after the first great awakening came something called the second great awakening. And if you've ever studied history, one of the things you know about the difference between the two is that the second great awakening was really manufactured. Where the first great awakening was a movement of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit bringing many to saving faith, the, the second great awakening in large part was really manufactured. It was an attempt to try to recreate that thing on our own human terms. And you fast forward then till today, and this is beginning to wane in our country, which I argue is actually a good thing. As we talk more and more today about you know, the people leaving the church and people departing American Christianity, I would argue largely what we're seeing is not a departure of genuine Christians, but really the departure of cultural Christianity, which I don't think is necessarily bad. In fact, I think it is good. But that's a lesson for another time. I say all that because if you go back and read some of the writings, the First Great Awakening, we get a, a very clear picture of what it means to be a genuine Christian and how to tell the difference between something that is just cultural and something that's a genuine work of the Spirit of God. And one of our greatest guides is Jonathan Edwards. And he wrote all kinds of letters and writings and essays, uh, some that you may be familiar with, like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, others that you may be less familiar with, like the Distinguishing Marks of a genuine movement of the Holy Spirit. I want to read just a short passage for you this morning from something else he wrote called Charity and Its Fruits. And in that, he actually argues that the word charity might be better termed love, love and its fruits. And I want you to listen to what he says about love. I think it's instructive for us this morning as we open God's Word in 1 John chapter 4. Again, in the context of the Great Awakening, really talking about what does it truly mean to be a genuine Christian, a real follower of Jesus, and to set that apart from anything cultural, something that we would manufacture ourselves. This is what he said. He says, love appears to be the sum of all virtue. Let me read that again. I know it's early. Love appears to be the sum of all virtue. What does he mean? Love is the totality, the apex it is the ultimate of any virtue that you could possibly aspire to. All virtue put together, he says, the sum total of that is love. Love appears to the sum and all virtue and duty that God requires of us, and therefore must undoubtedly be the most essential thing. That is the sum of all virtue that is essential and distinguishing in real Christianity. In other words, what is Edward saying? He's saying, if you want to know what a real Christian is, more than any other virtue, more than any other duty, more than any other act of obedience, the sum total of what it means to be a Christian, that mark that says you must be a real, genuine Christian, is love. 
And you hear that this morning, in many ways, like last week, you think that seems a bit hokey, perhaps. And as we talked about last week, the concept of love for us of men, I think, is particularly difficult, not because, you know, of all the stereotypes uh, that we tend to be gruff and tough and not able to access our emotions and feelings. No, because the idea of love for us has been culturally conditioned out of us in so many ways. Whether that's to tell us that it's not something that we should own as men, or it's been culturally conditioned out of us because we've been given a very false picture of love. And a love that completely cannot compare to the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so as we get into this morning, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go and listen to that, because in many ways these two things come together. But where last week we talked, we've been introduced the idea of love and what it really means. This morning I want to talk about why it matters. And why love matters for us, particularly as those who say we are followers of Jesus. This morning John's going to use a word... And I think it's an important word to distinguish this kind of love from any other love, and it's the word perfect. Perfect love. The question for you and me this morning is, what does it mean to have perfect love? And why does that matter in the Christian life? So the first thing I want us to look at, I want you to know that perfect love comes through faith. Perfect love comes through faith. Look with me at verse 13. This is what John says. He says, by this... We know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. Now, anytime you see the word this, particularly when we're in a study and we're not reading things all at once, reading a letter here, and we're taking this out of context, we often say, what's the this, right? By this, what's he talking about? Well, the this, I believe, what John is referring to is not just what happened in the the last several verses we looked at last week, but I think that this is everything he has written from the very beginning in verse 1, chapter 1. And in many ways, I think verse 13, he's beginning to synthesize every single thing he has said in this letter. In other words, John is putting it all together. And he's saying, look, I've I've given you many things about what it means to abide. I've talked to you about what it means to be a Christian. How really ultimately what that means is we're called to abide in Christ. And now again, I want to repeat myself and I want to actually put these things together so that you actually hear me. I want to make sure you're listening, John is saying. It's actually a great rhetorical device. He's taking a pause to make sure that the hearers of this letter are paying attention. So the question for you and me is, are you paying attention? He says, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And you read that and think, well, okay, hold on, I forgot. (laughs) We've we've lived a lot of life. What, What were you saying, John, by this? By what? Well, he's going to repeat himself. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. How do you know that you abide in God? John tells us, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, abides in Him. Perfect love begins with faith. Not just any kind of faith, not faith in love and faith in goodness, faith in our own ability, 
faith in human virtue. No, very specific kind of faith that, again, I do not want you to brush by this. Especially this morning, if you've grown up in a Christian home, or you've grown up in this cultural Christian landscape that we find ourselves, although it's beginning to change. We must begin, before we do anything else, to say, what do you really believe? What do you really believe? And are you, in your life, do your practices match your beliefs? Because that's what John's going to begin to unpack for us this morning. You might very quickly read this and say, well, of course I believe. I've always believed. Yes, I've confessed that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now John's going to say, show me. Show me. Before we get to that, question is, have you confessed this? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God's abide in him. Let me again uh, kind of orient us to what this really means. What's it mean to confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Elsewhere, we see this kind of language in the New Testament, particularly in this same letter. Later in chapter 5, this is what we'll read. John will say this, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, we see that belief is important. Romans 10 verse 9, this is Paul now, uses the same kind of language, this is the language of confessing. Romans 10 verse 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right out of the gate this morning, we have to stop and say, is that true of you? Have you confessed with your mouth? And believed in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Now, I know that might seem like pastors speak to you, but there is no greater question that you can ask yourself. And I would say that is true, whether you are not a Christian this morning, or if you are. If you're not a Christian this morning, there's no greater question for you to ask. And I would argue that we walk into life each and every day believing in all kinds of things. I would argue faith is a fundamental human practice. An atheist has faith. They believe that God does not exist. That's a statement of faith. Each and every day we place our faith in all kinds of things, in people, and processes. We place our faith in the, well, maybe not so much anymore, in the stock market. We place our faith in our own abilities, the abilities of others. We walk into life each and every day assuming so many things. Do not assume this morning what you believe about the most important question that you could ask yourself. What do you believe about the person and work of Jesus? Now, I said that's not only an important question for if you're not a Christian, but even if you are. Now, why is that? Well, John's going to show us. In many ways, if you're like me, you find that even though you have confessed that, maybe for some of you, you confessed that when you were a young boy. Maybe you'd say, I've been a Christian for 40 years. Maybe others of you, this is brand new to you. And you say, I've been a Christian for 40 days. Whatever the case may be, faith is not this binary thing, almost like a magic pill in the matrix. And just take it, and everything's kind of magically better now. No, faith is something we now have to live out of. And the only way we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
This is what John says. Again, look with me, beginning in verse 13. Go back. He says, By this we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Faith is something that is gifted to us by the Holy Spirit. That is not just for when we first come to know Jesus. But faith is something that is perfected in us, grown in us, nurtured in us by the Holy Spirit every single day of our Christian lives until Christ comes again or he takes us home. And this is good news for us because if you're like me, depending on the day, your faith may wane. But what we hear here by John is the good news that even if your faith for any given reason, any particular day, may dip. The Spirit is holding you if you are a genuine follower of Jesus. And the Spirit is working faith into you. Not only giving you the faith of salvation, but the faith that brings sanctification as well. John continues here, verse 16. He says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What I want you to see here is the so that. John says, so, or so that, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Notice the language here is a language of causality. What has begun by the work of the Holy Spirit has now produced belief and love. The Holy Spirit illuminating the heart to actually believe, giving the gift of faith that now is overflowing in more belief and love. So the question that you have to start with this morning is what do you really believe? And this morning, if you call yourself a Christian... Does your life match what you believe? Because John will show us that begins to reveal what's really going on in our hearts. Not as a work, but as a mirror that we should hold to ourselves to be honest before the Lord and before one another. And so what is that mirror? John will tell us it's love. It's love. How do you know if your faith is genuine? John will say, look at your love. The second thing I want you to know, perfect love casts out fear. Verse 17, by this, love, uh, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So the first way John's going to get at this is going to figure out, okay, what's going on in your heart? And rather than just jump in how do you are loving others, he's going to first start with, well, how are you receiving God's love for you? We talked about this last week. He's building on that theme, but now he's taking another angle. And he's bringing up something he's already talked about once before, and that's the day of judgment. What John's point? Well, John's saying, look, the day of judgment's coming. One of the fundamental truths that we believe as Christians is that Jesus is going to return. And when Christ comes back, he's going to bring judgment. 
He's going to set all things to rights. That's the justice part of his judgment. But he's also going to judge right and wrong. And that's coming for every one of us. Again, whether you're a Christian or not, the question is, how will you stand underneath the judgment of God? The book of Revelation makes it clear. No one can stand. Apostle Paul in Romans, no one is righteous. No one can stand the judgment of God except for the love of Christ, who died and rose again and stood in your place so that the judgment of God would fall on him and not on you. He did that because he loves you. Have you received that? And John will say the way that you tell that is fear. Fear. Now, if there was another topic I could think of that's hard for men to talk about, other than love, it would be fear. Because <laughs> we don't like to admit that we are afraid. Uh, many years ago, and some of you have heard me talk about this, I went on a silent retreat and I begin to look at the topic of fear. It's just where the Lord led me in the scriptures. And I was very quickly, um, maybe like many of you, had this reaction. I'm not afraid of anything. And God began to show me that not only is that not true, but that thing in me that tries to suppress any of my fears and be honest about them is the very thing that suppresses me from fearing the Lord. And so the first thing I want you to understand about fear is that there is a healthy fear we should have before the judgment of God. That kind of fear is the kind of fear that comes with awe and respect. Do you have a healthy fear of God? The kind of awe and respect and honor that is due to a God who is holy and righteous. That's a good kind of fear. But the kind of fear that John is talking about here is a different kind of fear. It's the kind of fear that comes with shame. The kind of fear that says, I am cowering away from you, God, not because you are holy, but because I don't understand what it means to be covered by the judgment that fell on Jesus instead of me. This morning, if you find yourself either hiding from God in shame, or afraid of God, not because um, of his awe and transcendence and might, but because you, you fail to really understand that the judgment of God fell on Jesus instead of you, then John's going to say, I don't know that you've truly confessed and believed in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world. Notice what he says. He says, verse 18, there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. In our own human lives, the way it works is we often fail to love other people because we are afraid. We're afraid of rejection, afraid of getting hurt, afraid of um, losing that person. C.S. Lewis put it this way in Four Loves. This is one of my favorite passages in the book. He talks about love this way. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. And I love this, not even to an animal. <laughs> Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin in your own selfishness. 
But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. Listen to this. The only safe place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. All right, what's Lewis saying? I think he's describing what so many of us do, men and women alike, that if you've ever been hurt, you've ever been wounded, you ever have calluses built up around your heart when it comes to love, that you retreat, you put the love away. He says you literally hide it into a coffin or a casket, where not only does it become safe, but actually it becomes impenetrable. And for some of you, maybe that describes you this morning. We fail to love others because we are afraid. I would argue in the same way, we fail to receive God's God's love because we're afraid. We're afraid that maybe God would leave us. We're afraid that maybe God isn't good after all. We're afraid that maybe God doesn't keep his promises. Maybe God's just like every other person who's failed us. I want you to know this morning, if that describes you, John is telling you that perfect love casts out fear. The kind of love that God has for you is not the love of the world. It's not a fickle love. It's not a love that's dependent on you. It's not a love that you can earn. It's not a love that you can work for. And it's not even a love that you can lose. It's a perfect love. And it's the kind of love that casts out fear. It's the love of a father for a son that says, you are mine. You belong to me. And like any good father would say to his son, I will stop at nothing to guard your life and to lay my life down for yours. It's perfect love. John says this, he says, fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What is your view of God? How do you see him? More importantly, perhaps the real question is, how do you think God sees you? Again, we talked about this last week, but John is building on the theme the reason why Jesus Christ died for you was not to get the Father to love you as if he's some bully who just wants to beat you up. No, the reason why Jesus Christ died for you is because in love, God sent him to the cross to die in your place. God loves you not because Jesus died. Jesus died because God loves you. And perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with judgment. And this morning, if you have confessed with your mouth and believed with your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world, that means the judgment of God that is due to you and me because of sin fell on Jesus on the cross, and now you have been set free. So third and final thing before we go to your table, perfect love then calls us to love one another. John's going to conclude this section asking us to really probe the depths of our hearts and really ask the question, are are we men who know the love of God and the love of one another? 
and therefore really knowing what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, he's going to say this, and it's pretty strong language. Verse 19, we love because you first love us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Now, John's used similar language like this all the way in chapter 1, if you remember, when he said, well, if anyone says that he's not a sinner, (laughs) he's a liar. It's the same language. And what John's doing is he's calling our bluff. He's recognizing that often we pretend as if we don't sin, which isn't true, makes us need Jesus. And often we say one thing with our mouths, I love God, and yet we live another way, and we hate our brother. And he's saying, that makes you a liar. He's going to go on to say, look with me, he's going to go on to say this, Verse 21, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What John is doing here, and I hope you hear the connection, is he's telling us the essential nature of Christian love. And this is what Jonathan Edwards was picking up on when he wrote his treatise on charity and its fruits. Love is essential to the Christian faith. If you say you love God but hate your brother, John says you're a liar. He goes on and says, For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. Okay, what's his point? Well, I believe what John is doing is he's, he's drawing off of the idea of the Imago Dei. And he's making a very simple point if you think about it. No one in this room can see God, Right? We can't see him. What can you see if you look around this room? You see his image. The image of God in the people that he has created. An endowment that he only gave to humanity, by the way. The crown jewel of his creation. And making all things. And think about how majestic some of these things are. Last night I was studying with my daughter. She's in sixth grade studying space. (laughs) And she's telling me how a black hole is formed. I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm in awe of the wonder and majesty of God. And yet more amazing than a black hole is you. You bear his image. And John is saying, we can't see God, but we can see one another. We can see his image. We are his image bearers. And therefore, we are called to love one another. We're called to love one another. And so this morning, if you have hatred in your heart for your brother, you need to go and truly plunge the depths of what you truly believe about Jesus. Why? Because of love, Jesus loved you even when you hated him. John says, whoever says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And he ends this way, verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. We see this commandment throughout the scriptures, beginning in 1 John chapter 3. We saw this um, just several weeks ago, for this is the message that we've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is Jesus and the gospel of John, again, the same author as the letter. The gospel of John, Jesus said, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That's from the high priestly prayer. His prayer before going to the cross is that we would love 
one another. And in the Gospel of Matthew, when a lawyer came and asked Jesus, what's the whole point of all of this? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you received the love of Jesus Christ for you? He died in your place, bore your judgment on the cross so that you could be free from sin. And out of that, have you now been set free to love one another with that same kind of sacrificial love? John says, if you chase that rabbit, it will lead you to faith. And the work of the Holy Spirit that only he could put in your heart. My prayer for you this morning is that you would know that love and that you would know what it truly means to believe in him. Let me pray for you, Cindy, to your tables. Father, be with these men now as they talk about these things. And I do pray that you would give them a, um, a spirit of honesty this morning with themselves and with one another. Again, we're talking about not only lofty things, but things that are hard for us to be honest about. So we are, we are asking, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to do that. Draw near to these men as they dive deeper into your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.